welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to another episode of Fertility Conversations. Today, we are joined by a lovely guest, Olu Fagbemiro, the founder of Anadin Gives. Olu founded Anadin Gives in 2018 to help provide fertility grants to individuals and couples trying to conceive. Anadin Gives currently offers grants to people uh, in Houston, Seattle, and Nigeria. Olu will be sharing her fertility journey with us today, as well as telling us all about Anadin Gives. So welcome, Olu, and thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. I'm so glad Yay. to be here. <laughs> uh, so to start off, we usually say, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, I have to say that I am an IVF mom first, mm-hmm. yeah. because it is sort of that part of me that defines a, a large part of what I spend my energy doing, right? Um, I also have to take this opportunity because earlier this year, I read Lovey Ajayi's Professional Troublemaker. Have you heard that book? Read about that no. book? Okay, so Lovey, yeah, so Lovey Ajayi is um, a Nigerian-American, um, and she wrote this book called Professional Troublemaker, which is talks about fear and fighting fear, right? And mm. in the book, she talks about developing your own oriki, which is unique to uh, Yoruba's, right, in Nigeria. Yeah. And I, yeah. don't have, I don't have an oriki, at least I'm not aware of it. So, she, you know, she teaches you how to develop your own, uh, your own version of the oriki. So I'm going to introduce myself with the oriki <laughs> that I came up with. Uh, this is my first time actually talking about that so here we go this is my version of her oriki sort of uh, structure right Mm -hmm. um so i am a believer of miracles professional giver aya arikembi conqueror of marathons raiser of kind warriors starter of booming ventures lover of chocolates Epitome mm. of Niger, no, they carry last. <laughs> yeah. Speaker of cultures, beaches, and Igbadum. <laughs> wow. That was actually very powerful. <laughs> Thank you. Really, really well done. That was really yes. good. Yes. I live in Seattle, Washington with my husband and two kids. And we can talk about them a little bit as we go on. Yeah. So that's my, um, I run a consulting firm called Anetting Consultant. It's an engineering consulting firm. Um, and I started doing that back in 2017. And that process led me to where I am today. So there's a lot, there's a lot for us to talk about today. I'm excited about it. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm going to check out that book, actually, because that's really yes. impressive yes. that you came up with that from that book. Yes, really it's good. a great book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and really powerful, Ariki. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in talking about you, you mentioned that you and your spouse and kids uh, live in Seattle. How did you and your spouse meet? At the time, I was living in Canada. 
in mm. Calgary, Alberta, specifically. And I had just um, I had just had my second myomectomy, which is the surgery uh, done to remove fibroids from the uterus. And I was home recovering on sort of a long-term disability situation. And uh, some friends were going to, you know, you know how people come to your house to visit with you when you're recovering. And yeah. so he happened to be visiting his sister and he was mutual friends with uh, that couple uh, that right. were coming to visit with me. So there was a bit of a mix up and his sister was out of the country. He was planning to surprise her. And so he shows up in Canada and she happens to be, you know, not in Canada. One <laughs> <laughs> of the chances, oh, right? Wow. Yeah. So he ends up in my friend's house, right? Like I, mm. I can see my sister and she's not here. Uh, can I crash at yours? And so <laughs> he ends up with them. And then they're like, oh, you know, Oh, we're going to see a friend of ours. She's recovering from, you know, surgery. Can you come, you know, you know, with us? They were, they were trying to set us up, right? And so oh. they, they, they brought him over to my condo and um, I gave him a glass of water and the rest is history. Very nice. <laughs> um, cool. He was, it was, he, he was aware of my fibroid right from the beginning of our That's a keeper. That's a yes. keeper because lots yeah, of right people the, yeah. hide that, right? Like you don't want to tell a guy just in case he, he you know, he thinks that's a potential problem with having children. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely, yes, yes, yes. Wow. I, and I know, I know that's a, I mean, that's a different conversation for a different day, but definitely, fibroids can be a bit of a concern for a woman to share with someone yeah. that she's just beginning to date. Because that could, you know, that could change the conversation very quickly before yeah. the other person gets a chance to even decide whether or not it's worth it, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So we love we, we love him already. Yeah. <laughs> in spite of that. <laughs> so that brings us to your fertility journey, because I think that uh, plays a big role in all that you do now, like you said earlier. So mm -hmm. perhaps if you want to share it, you know, a little bit or as much as you want about your fertility journey. Yeah, I'll try to do it pretty quickly um, here. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Otherwise, we would be here for a long time, right? Um, so when I when I started my journey, I actually didn't know I was on my fertility journey because there were there are things that I know now that um, now make me realize that there were things already in motion from a specific fertility perspective very early on in my um as a young adult um i so in 20 in 2004 you know right after graduation i found out that i had fibroids i'd been having some abdominal um, lower abdominal pain and so they thought it was hernia but they did an ultrasound and found out that i had several fibroids right which for a nigerian you know i was quite shocked you know, because I thought, well, this only happens to older people. <laughs> yeah, right. And because I was only 23 at the time. And so the other thing is the first person that came to mind was me, Mufedamido. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I am so not going to have surgery. And, you know, otherwise I could die and all of that. Right. So, yeah. I mean, for as young, 
many of us that grew up at the time that me was, you know, alive, we were, I think, quite impacted by yeah. death. And, you know, it's funny that that stuck with me all those years. And so when I was diagnosed, it was more devastating than maybe an average person that didn't have that influence, right? Mentally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I didn't do anything about it, basically. I, I, well, I should take that back. I didn't want to see an actual doctor that would recommend surgery. <laughs> so <laughs> I went the other route, the alternative medicine route, which I'm not discounting the, if the um, benefits of those, um, those other things I did. But um, so I, I, I did acupuncture. I, I did a lot of naturopathic type of medicines. I had like all kinds of pills that were given me. Um, I did this magnetic therapy stuff where you sit in this dome of a magnet and it goes around you and apparently it's supposed to do something. Wow. Um, none of it worked for me. <laughs> and the fibers just got bigger and more and bigger and bigger okay. and bigger. And by the time... I, 2007 rolled around, I had severe back pain. I had a, one of the fibers pushing on my spine. Um, I would have to pee so frequently, you know, lots of bleeding. I'd become severely anemic. Um, and so I didn't have a choice. And unfortunately, I'd waited so long that my, the, you know, I looked like I was about five months pregnant. You know, I was wow. tiny. I'm a, I'm a short person. So, you know, and I was young. So it was weird for me to have a little pouch, right? Um, yeah. So um, at that point, the doctor's like, we, get, we have to take this out, right? This is becoming too much of an issue. The first doctor I saw wanted to cut me open like vertically and so my parents quickly said well we need to find another doctor quickly (laughs) (laughs) uh, because I would be majorly scarred right um for life so we found another doctor in Toronto Canada that my parents knew through some friends and he was going to do the bikini cut approach right um Mm -hmm. like a like a c-section um and so that's that was in 2007 when I had that first uh, surgery to remove the fibroids, and I had a little complication after that su- surgery with some bleeding, and um, I um, I had to had my you know. So what I would say about that first surgery is listen to your doctor when they tell you to not um, <laughs> overexert yourself. Right. And Mm. I also the second thing I'll say is always um, speak up when you feel like something's going is something's not going well, because immediately after the surgery, I felt like there was something not right, you know, around my incision. Um, Uh And so there was a lot of blood that had collected under the incision, which is not good. Right. So they had to reopen my wound. And once they reopen the wound, it becomes an open wound and the healing process is a little more complicated. Right. Um, So that happened with my first malomectomy. And after that, I healed uh, uh, well. And I went on to live my life, even though the doctor had said that I, I needed to have kids right away. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I wasn't even like in a relationship at that point so I was thinking how am I gonna have a baby right away I don't even once <laughs> I was 26 you know like I wasn't ready you know to yeah. to just go and have a baby I was so young so I just like you know 
carried on right with life yeah. and and coincidentally around that time I met you know my husband and we just kind of like did life right we didn't make that the um focus of our yeah. relationship right and in fact we didn't get married until four years after that at the during that time, the fibroids were slowly growing back, right? You know, not as aggressively, but they were coming back, you know. And um, by 2014, which was seven years after we had already gotten married, we were like, okay, you know what? I'm 33 and we should probably get this soul having a baby thing going on, right? <laughs> because yeah. my doctor was like, well, you're about to be 35 and, you know, all the high risk, you know, discussions around pregnancy. So I said, okay. Then she, you know, she, um, this was Dr. Bigger. So at that point I'd moved to Houston and Dr. Bigger was my OBGYN and actually went to the clinic to start the process. And she had said that, you know, you have some fibroids and I would prefer that we take care of that first before um, proceeding, right? So we decided mm -hmm. we'd have a myomectomy, give my body like six months or so to heal, and then we'd start having kids. And that kind of worked for me because, to be honest, I wasn't mentally, mentally ready to start having yeah. children, which, I mean, I was 33 and most people would think, well, you should be, but, you know, I was living my best life. I was traveling. <laughs> my husband and I were just kind of, you know, so we thought, oh, great, we can do this. That, you know, that would buy, I thought it would buy me time, right, to yeah. get ready mentally. But I had no idea at the time that my tubes were already blocked, so when my oh, wow. doctor went in for the second myomectomy, Dr. Breaker, she's so amazing, right? And this is one of the things that she does that most good surgeons would do is they'll look around. They're already in there, right? So after, you know, doing what they need to do, they check things around. She looked at my fallopian tubes and she was like, oh, wow, these guys don't look like they're healthy, right? They look yeah. like they were fused to other organs and there was a lot of scar tissues that had developed as a result of my first, you know, uh, surgery. And that's the thing about inflammation in your system. It causes scar tissue and that can lead to many problems, right? So my tubes yeah. were blocked and I didn't even know, right? Um, <laughs> so I came out of the second myomectomy in 2014 thinking, yes, you know, great news. She was like, great news. We got the fibroids and everything. She was like, I don't have, and then there's this issue. Your tubes don't look like they're in good shape. So I need you to go and, you know, verify, right? With an right. HSG. Um, and I think that was probably one of the worst things at the beginning, right, of the process is realizing, wow, I just went from frying pan to fire in yeah. my mind, right? Mm -hmm. um, like, wow, this was supposed to be like the last thing we needed to do. And then we'll just carry on, right? So I, um, I gathered myself and I, you know, give myself time to just kind of heal from the surgery. I was just mentally not ready to take that step and go to a fertility clinic and all of that. So I waited until my six-month checkup, right? You know, we'd had some other checkups. And on my sixth month, we wanted to just kind of see how things were going. And she said, wow, well, you have, I think it was five to six fibroids. That was wow. six months after. She said, we don't have time. 
you need to make that appointment and you need to make it now. So January of 2015, I was in the clinic, you know, fertility clinic with my fertility doctor and we were having this discussion. So they had to confirm first and all of that. And I, so I did that. Um, and actually, no, I take that back. The summer before I had gone to have the HSG done, right? And they confirmed that my tubes were blocked. Now, at the moment, at that moment when it was confirmed, I, I had a bit of a mental breakdown in that, on that, like right after the appointment. And that was when I realized that it doesn't take very much for someone to have a mental breakdown. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, because I went from, I mean, thinking it could be to really knowing that wow, I am going to have a tough time having a child. I went from, you know, not being very serious about it to realizing you might not actually not be able to have kids. And that sudden going from this kind of laissez-faire attitude to like suddenly realizing, wow, this is real. It was too much of a uh, flip of a switch yeah. for me. And in that moment, I knew that I had to get professional help to help me deal. So my friends had encouraged me to get to get into counseling, mm -hmm. specifically someone that was accustomed to dealing with these types of issues related to fertility. And that's what I did. So I had been in counseling from the beginning, even before I started IVF. Mm -hmm. And that, I think... Um, and we'll talk later on about difficulty and stuff. I think that was fundamental to me having a way to deal with things, you know, um, throughout the process. It didn't make it, it didn't make it such that it wasn't difficult at all. But I think for me, allowed me to be able to catch myself during very dark periods of time. Um, right. So when we started IVF, um, they, you know, they quickly, you know, decided that, look, we just have to go through IVF and not do any anything else. Because there are many ways, right, for folks to, when we can talk about fertility treatments, IVF is not the only, so I don't want to give people the impression that that's the only solution. Uh, so for me, it was quickly decided that because we had the fibroids that were growing, right, we needed to move yeah. quickly. And so we started the IVF process and my first embryo transfer, I was pregnant with twins, but then wow. eight months into it, I had a miscarriage, oh, which, so yeah, which was, Oof. I think, still one of the most, if not the most um, painful um, experience I had ever personally, you know, gone through. Um, it was so painful because, you know, I used to think, oh, man, I, could, I would have twins and then I'll be so done. And it was, yeah. you know, you're dreaming about these matching clothes. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. And it was quite, it's difficult to, exp it was painful. It was very painful. My husband also was at, happened to be out of the country at the time. Oh. And so 
and then we lived in Houston. I had some friends, but my my family, my sister, my 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 parents, none of my immediate family members lived in Houston. So there was a bit of a scramble to get people to Houston, right? Because I had to yeah. go in for surgery to you know remove the rest of the uh, pregnancy, right? The tissue and everything else, and remove some of the blood that was collecting in my in my abdomen in my uterus. Sorry, so. Wow. So it was all that that was happening and then my husband wasn't in the country. And so there was a lot of chaos, right, around around it. And then I realized this, my miscarriage taught me that miscarriages, you know, I think people that haven't gone through it, they, they think, oh, you just have a miscarriage suddenly, right? And it's yeah. over. They think, oh, suddenly I lost blood and then it's over. Actually, it takes time to yeah. go through a miscarriage. In fact, miscarriage starts happening quite you know, for a while, and then it suddenly you confirm that, well, in the way the doctor dis- ex- described it to me is you're having a miscarriage, which means it's happening. It's not just a sudden event. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it could take weeks for you to get over all of it because yeah. there's like leftover tissue that has to be passed. And all. I didn't know that. And I felt like it was even like being punished, right? Um because you lost the kids and now you still have, you know, that I had the sense I have something dead inside me, right? As well. Like, so there's yeah. a lot of uh, emotional damage that can happen during a miscarriage that I was fortunately in counseling already, right? Mm. And so that allowed me to have a safe place to cry and vent and be angry and all of that right yeah um and then be able to pick myself up to do it again um which is you know so I had a miscarriage in May and it took me about six months to you know get over not I mean I couldn't get over I hadn't gotten over it but I just physically was ready um, and mentally prepared to go for a second IVF cycle which is when I got pregnant with my daughter who is now about six years old Wow, so that's that's sort of, um, and then the thing about being pregnant after you've had a miscarriage, right, is that you're afraid of having another miscarriage, right? So you're not able to fully enjoy the process because yeah. you're afraid that it's not that you're going. The, so the 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 month that the the weeks that I had the miscarriage the first time around was probably the worst for me because I kept like, you know, <laughs> I was checking. like frozen. Yeah. I would check my, you know, my underwear constantly um, to, to not that I was anticipating it, but I just couldn't help it. Right. Um, and so when I got past that milestone, it was still a lot of just being scared. Right. Um, yeah. Of, not making it um yeah so that's and it's not because you're not positive or you didn't have faith it's just the reality of the situation yeah you're going it's traumatic it's like a a traumatic situation and you just it's hard it's hard to I mean I've never prayed as much in my life right during that time and the people around me were praying too and helping to hold me up and everything so it's not about not having faith it's just the reality of fear 
Yeah. You know? And people don't seem to understand that. Like if you haven't experienced it and you don't understand, it's not because you don't want to believe or you don't believe. But... You believe. You're just <laughs> faced with a every second reality of yeah. flashbacks of what you've experienced. And that's hard to separate from your belief. And then, the, you know, as a Christian, I believe that God understands that, right? Yeah. Um, understands the struggle. And I think that, you know, being open about that struggle is important to just giving yourself a break, you know? Yeah. Um, and in in just saying, hey, I I believe, but I'm scared. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So yeah, that's my that was my journey. Mm-hmm. What a journey! What a journey! Thank you so much for sharing that. And again, so sorry for your loss. Um, we're very thankful that you know I have two beautiful kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the fact that you introduced yourself niche, uh, when you started as an IVF mom because there's still a lot of taboo um, and stigma attached to that, even that, right? So yes, you owning that and introducing yourself as that is amazing. Um, was there any point in time where you were concerned that you were not having to use, do like go through IVF or fertility treatments as opposed to quote unquote naturally? You know, the thing is, I was almost 34 right, when I realized all of this had to happen. So mm. I, so intellectually, I understood, okay, this is what we have to do. I'm also an engineer, so I have a slightly like scientific mind as well. There was a part of the IVF process that I kind of appreciated. It was methodical, and I had a chart and all of that stuff. There's some <laughs> yeah. part of that I was like, you know, I... Psh- I'm, I'm okay with this, right? Yeah. Um, but at the beginning, though, as I was leading up to that decision, I was, I, I had to mourn the loss of what I had dreamt of the way you get pregnant, right? Oh, yeah, yeah you guys are going to get it going. <laughs> and that's how you <laughs> make a baby, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, and I had to mourn the loss of that reality, right? Mm. And also... My husband, who was probably more unaware of the whole IVF thing, like a lot of men are, yeah. was also like, really? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to get a chance to do this the other way. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's funny now, but it wasn't funny like then. Yeah. So I think we were less concerned about being judged than we were about just mourning what we had be being raised to think would be the way we would conceive our children and it's okay to admit that there's nothing wrong in you know some people say oh what's natural what's artificial conception all of that I think if you are experiencing a loss of whatever ideal you had that's okay because you know education in this area is what I think has done a lot of disservice to most of us, right? Even the smartest of us, right? We're not aware enough about how common it is for someone to end up in this situation. You know, it could be a disease that leads to that. You know, it could be something unrelated to fertility. It can lead to your loss of your ability to have your children, you know, quote unquote, the natural way. 
right? Um, so that was, I think, the hard part at the beginning when we when we were about to start this is like, wow, okay. I mean, we didn't think we'd end up here, but here we are, and that sucks, right? Yeah. Um, my parents, on the other hand, once we we realized we were going to start with made our first appointment, I made that call, a phone call to my parents. I still remember myself being in the car at the parking lot of Whole Foods and calling them and them just being so supportive. Oh, wow. And, yes, my Nigerian parents were super supportive. <laughs> and they you were like, we're going to pray for you on, you know, go to make this work out and all of that. Like, you know, I was quite impressed with them. Yes, they didn't give me the whole, ah, no, you know, never, ever. <laughs> I was expecting, you know, I was expecting that. I was devil. waiting. <laughs> yeah. No. You I was know, waiting they for were that. Just, it was, I was quite, so I got off the phone going, okay, good. I got my prayer warriors yeah. on board because <laughs> my parents, would, every morning they wake up, they pray for every single child and every single grand, grandchild. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, good. I got them in my corner this is gonna this is gonna be good so so I wasn't concerned I was it was good to have their support as well right from the beginning yeah. um, and I decided to tell them at the beginning because I really wanted them to pray for me actually I didn't want to like go through it and then tell them afterwards I yeah. needed to tell them at the beginning because I felt like I needed everything <laughs> everybody yeah, you yeah. know um and I was, I'm glad I did that right from the beginning. That's really, that's really great to hear that your parents are pretty supportive. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned, you know, about fertility counseling and how that was really helpful. And of course, another taboo subject is counseling because I think people um, kind of assume that something is wrong up there quote-unquote like you know how people speak like in I know in Nigeria I don't know how it is in the states Mm -hmm. I assume that it's much people are more understanding but here when you when you talk about counseling people like well you know there's nothing wrong with me my head is fine I'm okay I don't need counseling I can deal with this I just Mm -hmm. need to pray so you choosing to opt for fertility counseling I know your friends recommended it but was there any one also mentioned the fact that hey why do you need that or was there any resistance even from yourself um so i uh, counseling right there's a lot of uh taboo right yeah. i think even um here in the u.s it's there is the stigma right around needing professional counseling right to yeah. get through whatever it is I mean life is hard you know mm-hmm. and people think oh you must be weak um to need counseling but what's I what's ironic in all of these cultures is that even in our some of our cultures in Nigeria they had like family members that would come and talk to you know help resolve issues that's counseling yeah. Right. Exactly. And when you get married, it was like like in the church, everybody, oh, you need to go to marriage counseling before you get married. That's counseling. Yeah. Why do we put it in buckets of this is the only time counseling is acceptable? That's what's, you know, doesn't make sense to me. 
right? The point of yeah. counseling is to help you. And it's funny, with marriage counseling, you do it before you get into something, right? Yeah. Into the, you should be in counseling before you go into some really, and they do, <laughs> it's funny, marriage is supposed to be bliss and everything, but you're being counseled, right? Into it, like <laughs> yeah. it's some kind of tragic thing like that's warning, about to yeah. happen. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but then they label all that kinds of counseling as a bad thing. It shouldn't be. It's a way of learning how to function properly, right? In the face yeah. of, you know, um, challenging situations, and yeah. it's a tool. That's all that it is, and I think that it's something that I think there's a lot of um, work being done. Um, to remove the stigma around, you know, being uh, looking for professional help. There are people that are not, that have no business in counseling other people. <laughs> <laughs> and there's some other people that are just very good at it, right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it's, it might be difficult to find the right fit for you as well, because you need to find that person, right, that you can connect with. Um, it's worth the effort of, um looking for that um that that person for for me some of the things I realized you know in the last couple years of doing some of this work you know in the space is is the lack of understanding and awareness about an issue can make that issue so much bigger than it needs to be when it suddenly happens to you, right? Just like anything else, right, in life. If you knew that, okay, in order for me to be able to, I'm going to pick something very random, right? In, In order for me to be able to get into college, I need to take these exams, right? Yeah. And I need to be proficient in X and Y right? Then when the time comes, you're basically being prepared from your, when you're a child in, in that path to be prepared to do that when the time comes, right? Yeah. You're not so suddenly surprised that I have to do exams, to write exams to enter college. You're not exactly. because you've been told since you were a kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what you, that's, this is the path and that's how you get there, Right. With fertility, we pretend that it's not one in eight. And so in college, they're teaching about reproduction and they're only teaching about the only way it can happen, right? The technology for fertility treatment has been around long enough that the discussion about, hey, guess what? This may be the the more, more common way that people have children, but you can end up in this bucket of people that yeah. are not going to be able to conceive in that way. And this is, these are the options for that. There needs to be like that kind of education from the beginning. Um, where, so that when you end up in the bucket, you're like, okay, I know what this bucket looks like. We've been talking about this, you know, a long time. I'm aware of what IVF is. I'm aware that, you know, these are the treatments I'm aware. And it's not as devastating. Like everybody around you will know about it, 
like nobody needs to be educated about, oh, IVF is going to cause cancer. So some of the stuff that I heard, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. So much misinformation, right, out there about it. So I think it's really important that we actually talk about it super early on. If you're going to talk about conception, conceiving and stuff, talk about that too. It's all part of it, right? Yeah. And I think that that changes how people get impacted by the um, realization that, oh, it's not path A for me, it's path B for me, right? As opposed to, oh my God, it's not path A, you know, my (laughs) life is going to end, you know? (laughs) That shouldn't be it. It's like, okay, it's not path A, I'm on path B. Let's carry on to path B, right? Um, I think at least that would change that sudden like devastating if effect right yeah. at the beginning um that's big for me you know so i th- it's important that we continue to just have these conversations and have them with our children when they're young and you know <laughs> children mm-hmm. are exposed to so much right now um much more than we realize right and i think yeah. this will make them better adults when they get to that point and they need to make decisions or when they end up with a friend that has to make that decision, they'll be better equipped in my opinion. Yeah. Well said. I think that's really great. Like you said, let's start a conversations early and make it, make it normal, not yeah. something that is so much secrecy and stigma and hush hush. Uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. And I think even for the counselor, like mental health, it is something that is highly impacted if you're dealing with fertility issues and Mm -hmm. just as we prioritize taking care of our physical self and we seek help if we need to um then there's nothing wrong with seeking help for mental health as well um, because because it's a lot (laughs) and and there's no reason for us to pretend that it's okay if we're struggling we are mind body soul you know, beings, right? One yeah. affects the other quite significantly. If you go out for a run, you're going to feel good, you know, mentally, right? Yeah. If you don't feel good mentally, you could start eating really badly and then your body's like, crap. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you feel like struggling with like, you know, your spirituality and stuff that can affect it's all connected right and somehow we just pretend as if it's not um or we put so much emphasis on the soul and the body and not the mind right um we do need to take care of our mind yes so for anyone listening if you do need counseling please go ahead and seek help yes seek help yeah yeah absolutely and i remember seeing one of your videos a while ago, I'm not sure if it was last year sometime. On I think it's on YouTube, where I'm not sure where I saw it, but you were showing how you were giving yourself injections during the IVF uh, mm-hmm. process. And of course, you know, we've been talking a lot about stigmas, taboo, being Nigerian, and you know, there's a lot of still concern about this whole fertility treatment. So why did you feel not to hide this, right? Because, I mean, you live in the States. Yeah. <laughs> Technically, you could have said, hey, I had them naturally. 
<laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Like yeah. nobody's gonna know. So yeah, why did you, in spite of the taboo stigmas and what people would potentially say, why did you decide to be open about your journey? Um, so it's <laughs> I um as a Nigerian, right? At least in my upbringing, I don't want to label all Nigerians, but in my upbringing, you always, I, we were constantly told to keep our business to ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. There's this Yoruba <laughs> saying that says, that kind of, like, just exactly. keep your stuff under the, you know, under wraps, basically. Yes. Um, good or bad, just keep it, yeah. you know. Um, and so, but my decision my decision to share my journey was very personal and spiritual as well Mm. so what what happened was during my second pregnancy I was very scared like I said right because I thought I would lose this the second pregnancy as well and so during my prayers I would I was scared to the very end basically. And so I would, I made a pact with God. <laughs> it sounds very mm-hmm. funny now, but mm-hmm. I actually did. I, I, I would lay down in bed and I'll say, God, please, God, please, if you help me have this baby, I promise to tell everybody about it. <laughs> I promise I won't hide it. I won't pretend it didn't happen. I will tell everyone and I would make sure, you know, that folks know and, you know, that kind of testimony type of thing, right? Yeah. And I said, just help me get through this and have this baby. And I, you know, it was like for real packed, right? With God. Yeah. You know, it sounds really silly because everybody <laughs> prays, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I thought I've made this pact and, you know, and if I get to the end, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain, right? It yeah. was like, a, you know, I was bargaining. I thought, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, but, you know, when I had my, so what happened was as I got closer to the end of my pregnancy, right? I, um, purchased a domain name and I uh, wow. I wrote the uh, I wrote a blog about my journey but what I did was I scheduled the blog to go live on the day that I had my scheduled c-section now because I had had my myomectomies I was gonna have a scheduled c-section because of you know yeah. um, and at 37 weeks because they wouldn't even allow me to go into labor because of my uterus right yeah um, so I scheduled it for after um, the day of my daughter's birth and after, you know, delivery. So, cause I was like, wow. I'm going to do this. And so I wrote the blog and then I scheduled it to post the day that my daughter was born because I took it that packed seriously. It was a pact. That was the reason. <laughs> and so that I, you know, um, recovering from a c-section having a new baby and all of that right that comes yeah. with um having a child and then I had a postpartum preeclampsia actually uh, which is uh, wow. high blood pressure after so none of that I, I didn't anticipate all that but because I had scheduled it it was already out there right so I didn't have to work up the energy to start typing stuff up right after the mm-hmm. fact so I just said hey I know this is happening 
Yeah, I was already pretty close to delivery, so I just did it, right? Yeah. I've never done a website before, but they have all these templates now, right? You can figure it out. So that's what I did. And that's how I started sort of talking about what I had gone through. Um, I had actually not really fully, you know, a few friends of mine knew I had fibroids and stuff, and those who were close to me knew that I'd, you know, had myomectomy, but not very many people knew my tubes were blocked and things like that, right? At least not yeah. openly. So I wrote, a, I used the blog to sort of, ex, you know, um, express that to people that didn't know what I had gone through. Right. And then I just um, that's where I started. And so when so now today, actually, when I um, when people call me and say, hey, I have a friend that is going through this and, you know, I mean, I, I first send them the blog because they just they can read about some details right and find yeah. maybe find themselves in the journey themselves and then if they want to still talk to me then I say yeah they can you know I can have a conversation so it's sort of like a like a documentation of my uh -huh. journey and so I created it and I just keep the uh, domain you know active I, I don't I don't blog you know, I just right. wrote a few <laughs> things there and I keep it there for um, just to help people that want to read something. Right. That may be encouraging. So that's yeah. that's that's I did it because I I made a pact. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was that was that was powerful. And, and the faith attached to that, that was that's that's huge. Yeah. So that's that's how this whole thing kind of began. And then when I um, when I had my daughter, I was I work in consulting, right? It's very busy work, and there's a lot of traveling. Um, I remember pumping on airplanes. I would be sitting beside some guy, and I'll have to <laughs> warn him, "Look, I'm about to put my breast pump on. I, I'm not trying to do anything dangerous on the plane." <laughs> Please don't yeah. report me. Um, and I mean, there were always guys that I would end up sitting <laughs> beside about to attach my, you know, pumps to my breast and everything. I always <laughs> had a cover on. But, you know, the idea of it, right? The guys would yeah. be like, oh, my gosh, really? They, try, they put their <laughs> headphones on, try to not hear the pump. <laughs> yeah. And so on these trips, I just kept questioning myself. You know, I, I felt like I'd just gone through a very grueling process to have a child. And then yeah. I was now leaving her and doing these things. But that was my job. Um, yeah. I began to really struggle with the idea of that. You know, mm -hmm. like, is is do I have to do this job this way was my struggle. So um, I had my daughter in June and in February of the following year, I quit my job. Wow. And I started my own firm because I just had a fundamental belief that I could give myself the, the kind of flexibility I needed to be the kind of mom I wanted to be still do the work that I really truly love and you know have the same level of financial compensation that I was already having I believe those three things could happen 
right? Even though I didn't necessarily have an example of that. <laughs> but I just, you know, said, you know, I'm going to do it. So I quit my job. It was quite scary to do, but one of the best decisions I I ever made. So what? So a year after that, at that point, we'd moved to Seattle. Um, it'd been more than a year since I'd made this decision. Things that changed, I'd turned around quite significantly for me um, from a business perspective. Then mm-hmm. I really started to ask myself, what kind of life do you want to live, right? Do you right. just want to be this person that has gone through something like this, had the blessing of this child and I actually named my firm. So the word Annetin is the combination of my daughter's first name and middle name. Annika oh. Eden makes Annetin. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. And so my firm is actually an Annetin consultant. Um, and so Annetin Gives came from that because the consultant firm has a dedicated fund to Annetin Gives, right? Right. Um, and so I was asking myself this was in 2018 I was actually running (laughs) and it that was when it it dawned on me that I needed to start a foundation to help other families that uh, may be going through the same thing but um have the added um difficulty of not knowing how to pay for it yeah because that's a big part that's a big part, especially especially if the journey becomes quite prolonged, right? It is one uh-huh. thing, in my case, really, the start and finish of the whole IVF process started in 2015. And by December of, you know, 2015, I was already on my second pregnancy. That's extremely right. short for most people. It's on the shorter end of the journey right? Some people, it's a very prolonged process. So you might be able to afford the first IVF or the second IVF, but once you start piling this up, it can get very difficult to keep up with the cost of treatment, right? I don't even, you don't care how much money, you know, you have, it can be draining on your finances. And so that's where, that was the, the point of starting an editing gives, um, was to help people bear the financial burden of the process. We can't guarantee what would happen in the process, but we can help lower the burden a, a little bit, lessen the burden a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, yes, that's how I, that's how we, I ended up here. <laughs> I'm starting and thank you so much for starting that. That's really amazing because for many just the whole cost of it makes it impossible. Yeah. You can't even try even the first even time, start. right? So yes. exactly. So being able to have that option where you have access to a grant to pay for mm-hmm. um, the treatment is it's a big deal. So yeah. thank you for starting that. Um, can you just tell for anyone listening more about Anidin Gives and um, perhaps when they can apply or get more information? So Netting Gives is, um, you know, we have a, um, when I started Netting Gives, the first phone call I made was to my fertility doctor. And I asked him (laughs) to join the board of advisors. 
And his name is Dr. Mazin Abdallah. He's been on the board since then. And then the second wow. call I made was to my OBGYN, Dr. Kristen Brigger. And you've probably seen Dr. Brigger, right? On yeah. some of our Q&As. Mm -hmm. And she yeah. said, absolutely. And she jumped on the board as well. <laughs> and since then, we've had so many other people join the board, many of whom are very passionate about this mission which is really the fact that you have money shouldn't make you have a better chance, right? Of trying to exactly. conceive. It's just, I find that quite morally wrong, you know? Um, so we, are, we, do, we all believe that there should be some equity in that, in that space. And that's what we're trying to do in our own little way. And we do that by giving families fertility grants. There's an application process um, because we're still trying to increase our resources. You know, um, sometimes people have to apply several times, right? Because we can only give so many dollars every year. But we always yeah. encourage people to apply. It's all online. It's an online process for both Houston, for Houston, Seattle, and Lagos, Nigeria. And folks can find information on our website at www.nettinggives.com. Um, and uh, I would say that um, I'm very proud of the board um, because there's a lot of work that we've done in just... Uh, this um, we started giving grants in 2019. Uh, we are just finishing the uh, Houston, the fourth uh, 2019, 2020, 2021. So we're in the fourth um, Houston fertility grant process right now, about to finish here on the 31st. And wow. um, I'm very proud of the work we've done to sort of improve our process and to stay with it and to add more CDs and to expand, right, the grant access. Yeah. I'm especially proud of, you know, the Lagos um, work that we've done. We have a board of advisors in, in Lagos, Nigeria, Mrs. Zakius, Adal Bioni Winde, and uh, Shemo um, Rosaki uh, are mm. on our board, along with Dr. Faye Iketubosin. Um, and this year, we partnered with three clinics in, in Lagos, Nigeria, Medical Art, The Arc, and George's Memorial Medical Center. And we intend to keep those partnerships, right, and maybe possibly expand to other clinics um, in yeah. Nigeria over time. There is a lot of need everywhere. Yes. Um, mm. But the numbers don't lie in terms of the amount of need there is in Nigeria. So we have a lot of work to do still. And we hope to continue to do it for as long as we have to. Um, you know, infertility is has been around since biblical times, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, we don't wish this on anyone, but if someone is going through it, we want to be able to offer some support. Definitely. Well done. And how can people support Anadin Gibbs? You know, like I said, we have a lot of, um, uh, we found that there's a lot of need. So the first way is to donate and support us. Um, if folks donate from Nigeria, it stays in Nigeria, right? Uh, folks that donate here in the U.S., we spread the resources throughout. Um, so donating is big for us. Um, secondly, helping us spread awareness, especially as you've done, right? Um, right. 
with spreading awareness about, especially in, in Lagos, right? In Nigeria, yeah. just Lagos, is oftentimes when you, I mean, we just kind of showed up, right? From nowhere. Mm-hmm. And they're like, who's this uh, charity offering to give us, you know, millions for treatment in Nigeria? Like, that yeah. can't be real. So having advocates like you, you know, legitimizing the work that we do was quite impactful for us, right? And for people to actually, you know, put themselves out there, tell us their personal stories, which can, like you yeah. said, like we talked about, is hard to do, to, to come out and really say something. So what I find quite incredibly personal, right? For people um, and yeah. to tell strangers is hard to do. So those two things, donating and helping us spread awareness is a big factor for how we can continue to make the impact that we're making. Thank you. So yeah, anyone listening, that's what you need to do. Let's make it happen and support <laughs> Anadin Gives so they can support many more individuals and couples trying to conceive. Thank you for sharing, Olu. Thank you. And I, I should ask, because you know, we spoke about infertility and how it can impact so many aspects of you and even mental health. Uh, I wonder what impact did he have on you as a person and perhaps you and your husband, your relationship? Um, I am a different person, a completely different person. I mean, they say mm. people don't change, but I changed. I, I just, I'm not the same person from before. Um, I mean, I don't even know what I did before this. <laughs> I worked. I think I worked a lot. Yeah. Um, what he taught me was that, wow, life, life is so much more than um, the whatever we've been taught it is. You go to school, you get married, you have a kid, and then you work, and then you retire, and then you die. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, life has to be so much more. And for me, for me now, given is a very big part of who I now am as a human. Hmm. Um, and it defines me fundamentally now, not so much before. For me, I have to give as part of just being, existing. And so it's that's how this journey has changed me it's make made me much more of a giver than I was before because I feel incredibly blessed right to be able to be in this um in this position right to have something to show for the journey that I went through not everybody can say that right so yeah so that's how it's changed me fundamentally. Um, for my husband, he's always been a giver. So when I decided to <laughs> start this, it wasn't uh, convincing. I didn't need to convince him because he was, I, when I met him and I did, you know, your investigation, like who's this person, <laughs> right? <laughs> One of the things his friends told me was that he was a generous person, you know, like in a kind way, like, He's right. generous with people and kind person. So that made it easy for me to transition into this kind of person. 
Um, but I think for him as well, he was also, even more so than I was, a very private person. Very, very, very private. Now, mm. though, because he's been through this with me and kind of we've it's evolved into this, right? This charity. Um, he's been so open about fertility and IVF that sometimes women that work in the same company with him would just naturally tell him stuff, right? Um, yeah. Because they realize he's, you know, he's a safe place, you know? Yeah, he understands. Yeah, yeah which is very odd for a woman to express <laughs> themselves in that way to a man, because typically men are not understanding of this, yeah. right? Um, so I remember telling him one time, well, it's really good that she's told you that. That means that you're really, like, you know, open, you know, yeah. and people feel so comfortable sharing that with you. That's a good, that's a good thing. That's a big deal. Because, yeah. Because he wasn't like, didn't want to talk about it <laughs> at the beginning. <laughs> so I think for me, what I've seen is that, and I think also now that we've been in this, I didn't know anything when I was going through it. What I now know, and I'm still learning, is there's so much more that I don't even know, even know. Um, from I'm just understanding how um, common male infertility is. He and I have conversations yeah. all the time about it. I'll ask him, the other day I asked him, I said, you know, I mean, when a baby's born via donor sperm, can you explain how a man would, you know, really, I mean, like, how do you guys, like, how does that, what does that mean, right? Like, yeah. how difficult is it you know and I, I'm genuinely trying to understand this because I remember having this conversation and thinking well for women we just throw around your tubes are blocked your universe is this your this yeah. is that you know we just throw women issues around and it's like it's okay right mm -hmm. we just but then once we start talking about a man's sperm is everybody goes Ugh. they start <laughs> cringing you know <laughs> or we're like we're holding the topic so delicately like it's a little glass egg and it's gonna break yeah. you know and so I was asking him why why can't we talk about you know male issues the way we so freely throw around women's problems you know yeah. and he was saying that we that it sounds terrible but we are we've been prepared for it like <laughs> but yeah right men are just they just not prepared to deal with it and it's culture it's culture and it needs to change right um and i think the more we have conversations with people that are not even going through it so i'm constantly talking to my husband about it right because mm. he's probably maybe we'll have a conversation with another friend that has nothing to do with this, right? And so the more that happens, the more the, the perception of, you know, how men treat men that are going through this, you know, there's a lot of nuances here, right? That we're not talking about. Yeah. That, you know, it's just, it needs to, we, we can't keep it in the, oh, just the people that are going through fertility. It's everybody else that is making this difficult. You know, yeah. 
for folks to be able to openly express that, hey, this is what I'm going through. And it's okay, it's a medical condition doesn't define me, you know. So that's, I mean, that's yeah. how we have both sort of evolved through through this. I'm still evolving, still learning, still growing, you know, and yeah. Yeah. Those are great changes, really, because, you, again, you're never the same when you go through all of that. It's Absolutely, just, yeah. It's just impossible no, I, not uh, to be yeah. changed. Yeah, completely different person. <laughs> and, of course, you're speaking about society. You know, in reality, oftentimes when people think about infertility, they think it's the woman, something must be wrong, no one speaks or thinks that it's the guy. So what, what do you think or what would you wish that what do you wish society were more informed or what do you wish they knew about infertility in general? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, seven years ago, there's so much I didn't know. I, I'm, I was just probably like the average person, right? That yeah. just has this perception of what infertility is, which is, oh yeah, the woman can't have a baby. That's it, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, here are the things that I think that I wish others and society in general knew about. Um, one, it's quite common, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we think it's not because people don't talk about it or maybe people are not listening or people are pretending as if they don't notice. Almost everybody knows the that couple that hasn't had a kid and they clearly didn't really say they didn't want to have a kid, but you're just avoiding it, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Almost everybody knows that. So it's very common. Uh, two, the idea of infertility or the condition can be brought about by so many things. Um, from cancer, cancer can rob you of your ability to conceive in a certain way. Other diseases can lead to it as well, right? And so um, uh, some of the assumptions, right? around infertility need to be, you know, dispelled a little bit. Um, And it comes in different forms. One thing I didn't know, and I'm going to tell you this for a fact, right, that it only, it was not until just a few years ago when we started getting um, fertility grant uh, requests, applications, right? And I sometimes will participate in the um, voting process, so I'll read the stories, um, some of the, what I didn't realize until recently, and, and again, I've been very, I'm new to this, this um, um, process as well. It's only been a few years, but I didn't know that male infertility is basically, it's, I mean, infertility is basically a third male factor, a third female factor, and a third yeah. male factors. I just came into that realization in the last couple of years, just by evidential information from the grants that we receive i mean i just became shocked and shocked and shocked over and over again like really 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 (laughs) yeah um i mean i knew it existed but i just didn't know it was that That much yeah yeah and that's one thing that we really as a foundation um, I think at the beginning, we would use images of women mostly. And then recently mm-hmm. in the last few months, we decided, okay, we need to start shifting the imagery that we're using as well. And you'll notice that recently we would have images of men as well as women. Yes. Um, because I think all of those subtle things 
you know, send a message about what we yeah. think, you know, could be contributing factors, right? And so Definitely. that that more so than anything else is that, you know, people need to understand because I think women have shouldered the burden for way too long. Um, and it's just a matter of education, and, you yeah. know? And I think my husband was saying <laughs> uh, the other day, he was like, I mean, it's a no brainer. It's 50-50, like in terms of population I, as well, like almost everything else. It's like, it's, it's duh. Yeah, there's gotta be a male factor <laughs> in this thing as well, right? Um, so, but for some reason here, we just, you know, society just doesn't want to accept it as well. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Very important. We need more mm -hmm. awareness and support for men support. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's no one's fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's nobody's Thank fault. You. Yeah. And through your journey, would you like to share any quote that you found really helpful? All right. So this is the absolute truth, right? Mm -hmm. um, there is a Bible verse that got me through <laughs> yep. and it's, it's Zechariah 9 12 and it's um, return to your stronghold O prisoners of hope today I declare that I will restore to you double and wow. to me that verse to me just gave me the hope that when all this is said or done right everything that I've lost all of the pain that I'm going through I will get twice as much back right in peace and joy and everything and so that's what kept me going that's the truth I'm this is the exact I mean friends that know me if they listen to this podcast in the future they will say yep it's true mm -hmm. oh, repeated this verse like it was the <laughs> bread she <laughs> ate every day um I think it's important that you find some what helps you hold on you know yeah. to hope I think hope is so big right during this kind of journey and that's what um, kept me going um doing it that, that's it I have nothing I love else it. <laughs> love it love it I noted it down I'm gonna <laughs> meditate on that I'm yeah. trusting and believing mm -hmm. that it'll be restored double wonderful yep. thank you for sharing that Mm -hmm. And as a wrap-up, Olu, are there any words of encouragement that you'd like to share with anyone or couple currently dealing with infertility? Okay, this is really important to me. Um, so I want to say this without being insensitive, right? Mm -hmm. I need, mm -hmm. I wish I was able to do this better right, when I went through my journey. And what I want to say is infertility is just a part of life. And I don't, I hate using the word just, but it's the truth, right? You have to live life, the rest of life, right? One yeah. of the reasons why I really worry about the impact of infertility and you know you see that verse talks about restoration is that it can have lasting damages on people right 
it can yeah. damage people to an extent that cannot, you know, they have trouble coming back from, mm-hmm. right? I get very, very concerned about when people get to that phase where it's 100% consuming, where there are parts of other parts of their lives that begin to really, truly suffer. Um, yeah. I want people to not allow it to it's it's easier said than done absolutely easier said than done but what I don't want is for someone to be going through a fertility journey and lose themselves in the in the aspect of maybe they had a um a dream to become I don't know I'm gonna throw something random out there a uh, violinist I don't know just random. They have a life passion, yeah. right? And they throw away themselves or even opportunities, right, to further their life's passion to be who they need to be because of this portion of their lives, right? Um, I don't want it to deteriorate someone's life to the point that they don't recognize themselves anymore so if you're a couple don't lose yourselves right to the point where you don't you can't recognize each other anymore you know and if you're someone that had dreams don't give up the other dreams in life very difficult thing to do And that's why counseling is very important doing this because it gives you that person, if they're good at what they're doing, they will help you remember that you are more than your ability to conceive a child. Yes. And that you can have an absolutely incredible life regardless of the outcome of your journey or regardless of the path you choose during that journey. I, that is the one thing I always want people to not forget. You can only do that with help during the journey because it can be quite consuming if you're doing it by yourself. So that's for me, the tragedy, they, that's a big tragedy if someone loses themselves completely when it's all said and done. I think that's, that's just terrible because we're all, we're all amazing humans, right? It yeah. would be such a shame to not find you, right? The core person, person, that person is more than a mother and a father. We're more than the ability to conceive children. Yes. And it's the it's 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 the it's the part of infertility that really pains me, right? Is that people can lose the essence of who they are as a result. And and I don't want that for people. I don't want that for people. So yeah. Don't don't give it all up. Don't give up who you are. You gotta hold on. Because we're more, we're more than that. 
Yes, we are. Yeah. Wow, Ulu, it's really been amazing having you on here today. Thank you for having um, me. This is a conversation <laughs> that was long <laughs> overdue. I know. I know, but you have another right time because yes. this is just wow, this is so powerful. Um, it's been, I mean, you have such an inspiring journey and to come out of all of that to now be such an amazing giver and really reaching deep to support so many people globally. That is huge. So thank you so much. Thank you. Um, and you inspire me. When I first met you, I was thinking, wow, okay, she's a different level of, <laughs> of amazing. Um, I just, I'm just so encouraged by you. I love this conversations that you have. They are conversations that make a huge difference and I hope that you know that they do um, and that you're doing it while you are in your journey that's just beyond amazing so thank you thank, thank you thank you for this platform and for giving someone like me the opportunity to be able to have this conversation with you and um, I wish you so much more strength and goodness and happiness Amen. Thank you. and you know all your dreams will come true as well amen and i'm holding on to zechariah 9 12 written Absolutely. down i'm gonna yes. meditate on that yes. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for, thank for today you, thank you. we've all thank been inspired you. and encouraged and you're making such a huge impact thank you so much for all that you're doing for all thank that you. you are thank you thank you so much Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.